Hey guys, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. This is where we talk about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it means to make music with your life, your relationships, and your careers. Pardon my voice today, I'm a little bit hoarse, um, but it sounds worse than it really is. But before we get going, um, I just want to tell you guys, I have finished a book uh, that comes out in January called Chasing Slow, Courage to the Journey Off the Beaten Path. This is by um, a lady named Erin Lochner, and she she is one of us. She has such a beautiful and poetic way uh, of writing her story, uh, and it's just a beautiful memoir on making your days more and more about less and less, what we always talk about on this podcast. We'll get to know her here. She's here with us today. Uh, and with that being said, Erin, thanks so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I have just been pouring over your past episodes and I'm so happy to have found you. <laughs> well, I tell you what, um, w- welcome. We, we are glad you're here. And um, I think you've got so much to teach us. Um, I, there's probably a lot of our listeners have crossed paths with you before um, through you know your blogs. And I know you had an HGTV.com uh, show at one time. But for those people that maybe haven't you know known you and your work that you've put in the world, uh, where do you start when you say, hey, this is, this is who I am and what I do? Well, that is a really great way to ask that question. Because when you ask somebody to kind of wrap up their life's work and 10 sentences or less. It's so overwhelming. But, um, but so I guess I start with, um, I always kind of call myself an accidental blogger. This is not (laughs) the most, uh, it, it, anytime anyone that knows me, um, talks about my job, they're like, that is, that's a really odd career for someone so (laughs) introverted and private. And, um, I'm not a spotlight person. So it it really, I just, I fell into the blogging world in about 2005. I've always been a writer. I've always been a journaler. It just, it made sense, um, in that platform at that time. And my community grew from there. And I, and I, that is the reason I blog. It's, um, I, I have such a wise and wonderful community as I'm sure you do here at the podcast of smart people teaching me smart things and it's it's I'm drawn to it and I learn every time I write something and the feedback that I get from that community is just um it's invaluable so uh so I start I start there I start with the blog I suppose I should say right and the name of that blog is it's designformankind.com and uh it used to be kind of an art and design blog when I was an art director in Los Angeles and it's kind of morphed into since having children and uh all the twists and turns my career has taken I it's more of a uh I I'm gonna write whatever I want to write about today yeah. kind of blog <laughs> yeah yeah this is what's yeah. happening <laughs> yeah yeah well, I love it, and, and it's uh, it it of course it's beautifully designed, um, uh, but it also has it has um, just great great content, and and I really think this transitions well into um, you and your story and how you wrote this book, Chasing Slow. Um, first off, high five on the title. Uh, you knocked that out of the park. Thank um, you. <laughs> and uh, the courage to journey off the beaten path. Um, so like you've, you've, you've been like featured on in every media outlet, you know, HGTV.com from LA to New York city, you've seen it all. 
and I don't want to take words away from you, then you enter through a, through a number of events, which they'll get in the book, uh, in Indiana, and you start going, oh man, there's, a, there's another pace to this life. There's, there's another mode to be in. You want to share with us just the story of how this book came to be? Yes. And I love that you mentioned the title because it's so, um, it's so funny. I, the book that I wrote was not the book that I set out to write. And I feel like that probably happens more often than not. Uh, and, and I remember a meeting with my publisher, we're having brunch and, um, they're asking me, okay, well, Aaron, we need a title. What are you going to title? And I'm like, I'm I'm not finished with it yet. And I don't really (laughs) know. And it was still in that really messy form where it hadn't quite take shape. So, um, they asked me just to explain what was happening with the book in that moment for 30 seconds or less, just, just go. And what I had said was I was finding, I thought the book was going to be this anthem for slow living. I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be a battle cry for everybody to clear their calendars and, and subtract their stuff and Mm -hmm. forget the expectations that we're placing on ourselves. And, um, what I found was I was living a very fast season writing that slow living book. You know what I mean? It was not, it was not a stress-free time and, and the promoting of it. And, and just, it, it's, it's a very busy, all encompassing pressure filled thing. Yeah. Um, and I just, I began to see that chasing slow while a worthy pursuit, sure is, is just as exhausting as chasing fast hmm. because you're still chasing this goal that is circumstantial and that is, um, that you're attempting to measure and attempting to keep track of and attempting to, like you said, calculate and life can't be measured. Hmm. It's, it's an art, not a science. So I just, I just found that what the book turned into was less of this battle cry of slow living and more a, um, a kind of let's throw out the yardstick all together and enjoy this life for what it is. Yeah. It's a gift. Yeah, totally. Um, wow. That's a beautiful, that's beautiful insight on your own journey in writing there. Um, and so like I can tell you, if you saw the book, you'd see just sticky note after sticky note sticking everywhere. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I, I want to go through some of these ideas Um and just hear you kind of riff on your thoughts of them, um, because I think that there's just so much jam-packed into this book, and of course we can't fit it into one podcast, but I'd love to just hear you riff on the things that that really spoke to me uh, when I read this, one of them being um, that success is actually like a mirror, and I love, I'm a metaphor guy, so it's like, it's like all we have, right, me is too. metaphors. <laughs> it's yes. all we got. So um, tell me, Share a little bit about this, that moment when you were like, success is, it's, it's a mirror and it's going to call you out. What were Mm -hmm. you, what were you meaning in that, uh, in the book? Well, you know, I think we, we have this expectation that once we find our version of success, you know, once we're at the top of the mountain and we've reached fame or, or whatever that is for us, that, that we be almost an actualized version of ourselves, hmm. almost um, at our, at, you know, we must be in tip top shape if we've reached all of our goals. Right. But it just intensifies everything about yourself that already exists. It's just a reflection of who you are and always have been. Hmm. You haven't necessarily, perhaps you've changed for the better. Um, 
I would argue to say, though, you're probably, if you've climbed all the way to the mountain, you're probably missing a couple of toenails by now. You know what I mean? You're probably <laughs> yeah. a little bit a little bit beaten down and broken down. And that's when you're your truest self. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean you can't be formed and malle- malleable and, and shaped into something better. But you, uh, you're still you up there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're still you. Yeah. Uh, somewhere, and you just triggered this with me, I either wrote it, highlighted it, or I'm totally hijacking it from somebody. But in the last seven days, I wrote something like, um, in your path, on the path of becoming, don't forget to be that which you are intended to be. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah, and so it's like the we've all had the award, the ceremony, the paycheck, the at mention, retweet, whatever, um, that you think is the pinnacle of existence in whatever, you know, goofy form you may define that in. And then, and you have that moment of like, surely there's more than this. Right. Um, sure, there's got it. This, this can't just be all it. Um, and, it's so odd because, in, because every part of you thinks, you should feel like you've arrived, yep. and that, and yet you have you haven't. And I I quote in the book that the reality of mountain climbing is that if the stars are your goal, you'll be climbing forever, because <laughs> it's it's true. There there really is no tidy arrival destination. Yep. Yeah. Well, so good, so good. And then so and and do you consider yourself a minimalist? And, and how 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 do you handle that question? <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. I am, you know, at heart, my natural bent really is truly minimalism. I believe wholeheartedly in in the gifts that empty space brings. Totally. Um, I, at the same time, I'm such an all or nothing person. (laughs) Minimalism um, is not my finest suit. I, I, I feel like without, without grace, it's another metric for perfection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I, my, my struggle is accepting the people that live with me and their love for things. And, um, you know, I have a toddler, a newborn and a husband, and it's just both my toddler and husband are, are pack rats and they're very sentimental and they're lovely and endearing with their attachment <laughs> to things. Um, and I just don't, I don't understand it. So for me, it's, it's more of a gratitude question. Can I be grateful hmm. for the way that their natural bent is mm-hmm. Eve, and, and still maintain my sense of minimalism myself? Because, you know, the reality is um, everybody's got something they hold. I, I really, I love dishes. I, I don't even cook <laughs> that much, but I have a lot of different dishes. And so it's, um, yeah, everybody's got their thing. But right. I, I would say... If I was living single alone in the mountains in another life, absolutely, I would probably own 10 things or less. <laughs> and I mean, you, you unpack that so beautifully by saying without grace, minimalism is another metric for perfection. It's another avenue to judge, critique, defend. Um, you know, it's just another thing to attach to. Is that kind of what you were getting at in that thought? Absolutely. Right. And it's, it's, it's almost a curation of, of your life, which right. is such odd thing. <laughs> Right. We're just, and, and, and you're right. We then judge ourselves based on how minimalistic we are. You know, we, how many things can we con Mari out of our closet? And it's, it's truly, it's, it's just, it's the same thing as when we were asking ourselves how nice our car could be or how big our house could be. It's the same, just flipped on its side. Right. 
And one of the things you said, too, um, in the book was, look, this thing about subtraction, it doesn't matter what you remove. What matters is that you stop adding back. Um, and so it's, it's, it's less about the thing that's being removed, and it's more about kind of you and your posture at the soul level. Is that what you'd say? Oh, that's a beautiful way to put it. Absolutely. I think that's why it's, um, I think that's why when I think about chasing slow, I think of the journey of, of pursuing it, not as a wholehearted focus, but as, um, a slower process Mm -hmm. and under and understanding why, why you're fighting it in this season or why you're embracing it in this season. Or, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you. I mean, I write about in the book, purging my closet twice. You know, how do you, how are you purging it twice? You know, (laughs) how did you get back to where you began? But, but it's true. I think life is very cyclical and we have to, um, resist the temptation to change it all at once. I think there's a fine line between changing our life and manipulating our life. And I think a lot of, of when we pursue that, what we think a slow life should look like, um, we're missing out on the lessons that we're learning by actually slowing it, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the most beautiful themes that I, I got out of your writing was really the, just the, um, the letting go and surrender, um, which, my oh my, is, is there anything our generation is... Uh, going to be trusted with or or needs to work on more than letting go and surrendering. Um, Uh. And so you, you write in the book, you said, I used to think the opposite of control is chaos, but it's not. The opposite of control is surrender. Um, And that was just beautiful. You want to walk with, with me for a bit on that and just kind of tell me your thoughts on that surrender. Well, you know, I think we like to think of ourselves as masterminds of our, of our lives and um, and that when things are going really well, it's because we have control over the situation. Right. Uh, and that if things are a mess, well, we must have done something wrong. We must have screwed it up. But I, I feel like that doesn't really give weight to the magic of life. It doesn't really give weight to the curiosities and the complexities and it, it, it just makes us little puppets. Um, and so for me, it it did, I didn't, I've never thought of myself as a control freak until I had children. And it was just, (laughs) it was just kind of, um, I wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was a good mother. I didn't feel like I was good at this job. I wasn't initially nurturing and my baby was, now she was colicky and, and unhappy. And so I just thought, well, I must be doing something wrong and mm. I, I need to control more mm. and I need to manipulate our, and maybe I need a new, you know, baby rocker and maybe I need the sound machine. And, you know, I just kept throwing more things at that. And in reality, I needed to surrender to the, what if I'm a bad mother and what even is a bad mother? Come on. But like, mm-hmm. So what? Almost, it's almost as if you learn to care more and to care less, um, and to yeah. decide decide this is a priority and this is not a priority. This is something I can surrender to, that I must surrender to, and this is something that I can actually control. And we know by now that we can only control our reaction. You know, right. we can't control our circumstances. Right. So. Um, so surrender for me has been a beautiful lesson in learning 
to be, to take ownership over my reaction. How, what, what, here is what life has given me. What now? Yeah. Take ownership over the reaction. And at the same time, have that, this surrender, this letting go, and this is kind of oxymoronic, but it, it then gives you hands to hold the magic. It, it gives yes. you, it, it gives you hands to hold the beauty, the depth, the joy, the whimsy that you miss when you're just going chaos, chaos, my life is chaos. Surrender, you can step back and go, time out. There's a lot of beauty going on right now. Absolutely. And yeah. that's where you're connecting with other people. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't, when we're clenching our fists, you know, we can't hold hands. There's right. no connection. That's it's, good. it's just, you're just, yeah, it's, I think it opens up a lot of space for others as well when you, when you are in kind of that practice of surrendering to what is. Yeah. Wow. Love that. <clears throat> so, um, in our family, we do mantras. I don't know if the Lochner family does mantras. I love a um, good mantra. Wait, can <laughs> it, you tell me like your favorite mantra? I'm so curious. Well, um, gosh, I have so many right now. Like all there's left to do is enjoy. Um, oh. that's, that's one of them. Um, but the one I was going to share with you is a family mantra for my wife and our girls is we don't keep score. We don't keep score. Ugh, we don't amen. keep score. And so when, when I read this in the book on this scorecard thing, I was like, okay, we really need to dial into this because I think this has been, uh, as a dad, one of the most beautiful dialogues I've been able to establish with my little girls that are three and five of like, hey, when we address something that needs to be addressed, we're going to get to the root of it and then we're going to move on. But hey, guess what? We don't keep score. Like, oh, love. I love that. There's, there's enough to go around. Love has no end. It, it doesn't stop. So it's kind of this mantra. You write in the book that when you start getting into scorecards with love, you've got a problem. And I'm going to read this because I love it. You said points, tallies, and scores. These only matter in Scrabble. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you said, of course, a scorecard has nothing to do with service or sacrifice or even love. It has to do with control it's about manipulation. It is math. I'll scratch your back, and I'll let you know when I'm angered that you didn't offer to scratch mine. Whoa. <laughs> so give me your insights on the scorecard metrics and, and tallying up numbers when it comes to all that we've got, and that's love. Oh, gosh. Well, this is a lesson I, that I am continually relearning, and I, I think in my family growing up, there was, um, I mean, we're very gifted in the art of passive aggression. I will say that <laughs> <laughs> probably most people I know are, right. but, um, and I just, for me, I, I, I think the cornerstone of the mentality of the scorecard for me, uh, overcoming that was when I realized, um, I'm not going to help my husband be a better husband by making myself look like a better wife, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's my job is, I think something beautiful happens when you stop trying to become a better wife and you instead try to help your mate become better. Well, um, stop, stop trying to be a good spouse and help your spouse be a good person. I guess like our role is to be assisting each other in, in our separate, but, hopefully complementary paths. Yeah. And I can't do that when I'm keeping track of all of his shortcomings. I can't. It's impossible to help someone that you don't truly want to help. Right. 
So for me to release the scorecard and, and make it be, listen, like I, it, I'm actually not even taking notice of, of what you're doing. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's certainly conversations where we can call things out in a, in a mature Absolutely. and a kind and a gentle fashion. Absolutely. And those have their space too. Um, but for me, it's, it was so much of that. I know I should take out the trash to be a good wife, but that's his job kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And when you throw that out the window it, and it's nobody's job, you notice all those times he actually did take out the trash. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because it because you're not thinking of that it's that it even belongs anywhere on the playing board. Yeah. Um, it's just and it's it, the total it, scarcity abundance conversation. It really is yeah. too, because it, when you're keeping score, there's only a certain amount of rules, and, there, right. and there's really a certain amount of space on the scorecard, and you're always. We're and, always going to err on the side of us winning. And, yeah, and there's a winner and a loser every time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. And that's just untrue. And I think, too, there are seasons where, um, you know, Ken and I always talk about how marriage for us isn't uh, 50-50. It's 100-100. Like, no. it, and there are some seasons where we're zeros, like where it's a hundred and zero, you know, and it's just off balance and one person is completely carrying the weight of another. Um, and there, there are some seasons where you're just truly going through the motions and getting by. And I think that doesn't work when you're keeping score, you know, you start to, you start to add add in the resentment and the entitlement. And I've done this for you. And now where's my piece of the pie kind of thing. And there's no, there's no space for that in love. There's no, there's no space for that. Yeah. It keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah. It endures. Yes. It keeps going. Amen. It does its thing. <laughs> um, yes. And, and you're right. Love isn't a game of give and take. I think you even said it's not a two-way street, which is awesome to wrap your hands around. You said it's only a game of give. So yeah. good. So good. Well, it just requires no recipient either. I mean, it's not, our job is not to love and be loved in return. Our job is to love, period. Hmm. So it's not like it's not conditional where we can only love those that love us. Yeah, it, it's right. again, it's that choice and that choice to, to choose. And that doesn't mean your love will be perfect either. You know, that doesn't right. mean that, um, it, it just means that it might be well received and it might not, you know, it might not be, you know, gifted in the same amount or it's, it's that measurement thing. Absolutely. Can you you really truly measure love? No, absolutely not. Right. So good. So I I know that you you had this moment in the book where you write about this blog entry that you'd made. Um, And I just kind of wanted you to walk a little bit with kind of, you said you could have called it the rebirth of slow anything, um, but it was really the rebirth of slow blogging. And at the very end, which at Let the Music Play podcast, we, we have to talk about this because of how you say, there is more noise and my ears are tired. Um, you want to talk about that entry a little bit, about yeah. your, your thoughts of what you were putting out there and then how people were responding to that? You know, at the time um, that I wrote that, I was speaking at a lot of conferences and um, 
and the general consensus was that bloggers needed to be uh, creating more content specifically for Pinterest. Pinterest was now on the rise and it was just this fire hose of information and inspiration and everything was available to us all at once. And it was a lot, it was a lot of intake and a lot to consume and, um, overwhelming to me, certainly as someone who (laughs) prefers, prefers to live their life offline rather than online. And, um, I felt this pressure that I needed to be at the forefront of that, that I needed to be, um, standing by my editorial calendar and that I was supposed to be branding myself and I was supposed to be, it it was back to the should conversation. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take myself out of that game. Like this Mm. isn't a, I don't think we're brands. I think we're humans and, and B it just, it felt, uh, like too much. It really did. There was no space for a life otherwise and outside of that. And, um, what I found was I thought that I, I really thought that I would be met with um, a little of grumbling, a little bit of, who do you think you are? You should be grateful for this space. Um, Where is your gratitude? You know, you've been gifted an audience of a million. You know, why aren't you playing the game? Like, is it really that hard to just have an editorial calendar and post more? You kind of just um, called time out. In the, in the middle of I your, did. I of really your did. community. I did. And, um, I, of course I should know better because the community was so supportive and em- embraced the idea. And what mm-hmm. I found was the, the content creators were not the only ones who were tired, the content consumers, it was a lot mm. for them as well. Yeah. And so there was really a lot of, I think, um, gratitude for, yeah, for essentially putting me and, and other people and in, in what gave them permission to have a timeout and to say, you know what, we're going to reassess this. And, and we there has to be a point where we can't just keep adding more and adding more and now posting, what, 5, 10, 15 times a day? Like, right. what kind, what kind of um, pace is that? Is that sustainable? And yeah, it was really met with a lot of grace and I, it was so and, and that's the article that landed in the New York Times was just the idea of uh, the headline was when blogging becomes a slog and all of these <laughs> blogging bloggers that had been creating content for 10 years were were getting tired and what was the next phase of blogging going to be like and it, and I'm happy to say I think it's turned into a more organic authentic internet. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love that. And, and you wrote in there too about how, you know, when you're always thinking about next, then you're always thinking about someday. Um, and, and you, and you miss what's happening right here in front of you. Absolutely. And, and we're pinning things and saving them, pocketing them for later. There's a million apps on how to bookmark something for later. Where's the app that is going to force you to get up off your computer and do it? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, it's silly. It's silly. Because that's where the beauty is, is in the doing. It's not yep. in the saving. Yep, totally. You're absolutely right. And one of the, just to riff a little bit on what we were talking about a minute ago about the love and the scorecard, um, when you were talking about kind of making amends with your own flaws, um, you said, look, do you want to know how to accept your flaws? It is to practice accepting someone else's. That's big time. Um, so, so tell me, um, how how has posturing with that mentality um, just allowed you to 
navigate your days with with more ease, more grace, uh, more mercy, more forgiveness. Um, how have you been able to walk with that? Well, you know, I think a, a big, I, one of the huge benefits of writing that book was learning what an absolute hypocrite I was. Hmm. Um, well, what an absolute hypocrite we all are. You know, right. I feel like we're all these bundles of contradictions and, and we live in such a black and white era where if you are anything but black or anything but white, then, well, you must be a hypocrite. Um, and I, and I think there's a danger in that because we're all so gray. There's really, there is no, I know that, um, authenticity is supposed to Mm -hmm. mean, you know, being honest a hundred percent all this time. And I don't think that's the case ever. Um, so when I think about accepting someone else's flaw, it, it's so easy to do now that I've met all of my flaws on the page, you know, wow. they're right, they're right there. Yeah. And if I, and if I can learn to accept my own, which is really in my, if for me, that's the hard one. Mm-hmm. That's I can, the work. I can, that's the work. And I can practice on other people. And how great is that? Like mm-hmm. I can practice and all I need to do is justify their actions half of the time that I justify my own. <laughs> and then we're, and then we're good, you know, like yep. then we're fine. So, um, I think it's just, it's just practicing seeing the good in others and also understanding that, um, there's a concept kintsugi that we talk about in the book where, um, you know, Japanese pottery, instead yeah. of concealing the crack, they illuminate it with gold. They paint it with gold paint. Yeah. So it's always there and you see it always. And that's actually the truer, more beautiful way. Yeah. So if we can move away from calling that hypocritical and just call that human, um, that might be a beautiful thing. That might be a good yeah. starting point to, to being able to accept those cracks. How else will the light get in? Exactly. Ah, Leonard Cohen. (laughs) So, um, yeah, for sure. So I I always like to kind of give books like this some themes, um, you know, if people are wanting to walk with grace or or minimalism or love or abundance, I I think those are the four themes that at least spoke to me, um, in your words. Um, and towards the end of the book, you write in there, look, we are loved. We are loved by God. We are love. This can't be threatened. Um, and in that, I, I just thought, um, wow, this is, it, Aaron has stepped into um, the world of abundance, the world of gratitude. Um, and it's such a freeing vibe that this book will give. So, I mean, if people are out there and you guys want to pre-order this thing, um, I, I can't think of a better book to begin 2017 with. Um, mm, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And so how, tell me just like straight from the gut, what has this posture of gratitude done for you, um, for your life, for your family, for your relationships? Um, how have you seen it, you know, totally be such a gift for you to experience? Well, you know, I used to think that, um, the goal in life was to be happy, right. And hmm. to, to kind of by by through all of this curating and changing and controlling of our lives and cleaning out our pantry and diffusing the lavender. I know we talked yeah. about that. <laughs> um, that they were all kind of ways to seek happily ever after. And then I thought, well, 
maybe it's not happily ever after. Maybe it's, it, we need to seek something else. Mm-hmm. And, and I think through the course of writing this book, I realized that, no, it's actually not about seeking at all. It's about seeing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's about seeing what we have and seeing what we've been given. And that is truly, really, honestly, only today. We've got today, yeah. like period. Yeah. Um, and, and what's left but gratitude there, you know, like mm-hmm. really, truly, if, if we take away all of our long-term plans and goals and expectations and pressures and we look at what we have today and we see it as enough and we think of it as manna that yep. we have enough and only enough for this one day, then how could we be anything but grateful for that? Yeah. How would that lead anywhere other than gratitude? Yeah. So it all starts in our eyes. Absolutely. And what we 100%. see. Well, perspective. It's the lamp of the body, no doubt. Yes. <clears throat> so, so good. So, well, then let's talk about this book. Where, where can we find it? Where would you send people to go and buy this book? January 10th. Is that right? Yeah, very good. good. So um, Chasing Slow is available anywhere where books are sold. You can go on Amazon online, Barnes & Noble online. Um, there is a link, uh, designformankind.com slash chasing slow will take you to like direct links to all the places you can order the book. Um, awesome. And there's also, if you pre-order, there's some really fun free downloads. There's like a book club. Um conversation starter. There's a small group prompt. There are some journaling prompts. Um, there's some slow living essentials. It's just, yeah, if you head to that site, you'll get a lot of fun freebies if you pre-order, which is fun. Beautiful. And if, and if they're, if, uh, our listeners aren't following you yet, Instagram, Twitter, where, where would you send them to Pinterest? Where, where would you send them? Come to, um, I'd say Instagram and Twitter. I met okay. Aaron Lochner on both of those spaces. Um, and I post fairly frequently. Beautiful. Well, um, Aaron, on behalf of all of us, uh, we are thankful for you and your work uh, and for giving us new eyes to see with. I, I, I really think this will be something that um, permeates throughout America and hopefully the world and uh, makes us all walk and laugh and talk a little bit slower and enjoy the path on the way. Oh, Ashton, thank you. It was such a pleasure to talk. You're, you're such a gift. It's been such a pleasure. Well, absolutely. Well, I hope. Can we do this again? Can we shoot for another yes. conversation in 2017? Let's do it. Absolutely. Beautiful. I think there's more here that we need to get into. So Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Have a great uh, Christmas and New Year, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you. Daddy. You too. Daddy, hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Aaron as much as I did. If so... Make sure you follow her and her work online and be sure to purchase her book that comes out January 10th, Chasing Slow. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. Today's episode is brought to us by Holsty. Holsty explores what it means to live a life of intention and reflection through art, words, and action. Through their monthly subscription, Holsty examines themes inspired by the science of mindfulness, positive psychology, and ancient philosophy. Each month, subscribers receive letterpress prints illustrated by emerging artists, along with action lists and digital toolkits, encouraging further exploration and reflection. Holsty's journey began in 2009 with the viral popularity of their company manifesto, a call to arms around how their founders define success. 
They couldn't have imagined how much these words would resonate around the world. The Holstein Manifesto was called The Next Just Do It by the Washington Post. It's been translated into 13 languages and has received an estimated 100 million social media views. With the encouragement of their global community, they developed the monthly Holstein subscription to help people put the words of the manifesto into action. Be sure to go to Holstie.com slash Ashton and use the checkout code Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, to get your first month's free of the Holstie subscription.